Good evening, my friends, followers, and listeners. Welcome to Law and the Life podcast. I am your host, Patrick McGeehan, and I am your best friend at your worst time. This podcast will be centered around car accidents, injuries, how they occur, mechanics of injuries, death, and other forms of mayhem related to car accidents. Today is Wednesday, September 5th. 2020. I got out a little bit late for court today, so I didn't get the video set up to do the live in addition to the podcast. So we're going strictly with the podcast this time. As many of you may not know, but prior to being a lawyer, I was a policeman with Miami-Dade County for many, many, many years. And my experience in handling accidents and investigating accidents is quite extensive. Not only did I handle them in the first couple years when I was in regular patrol, but I was specifically assigned to the homicide unit to investigate traffic death cases, and I did a whole bunch of them. Um, I was a certified accident reconstructionist while I was at the county police department. I've actually attended specialized schools to uh, train me on accident reconstruction, basically putting back accidents, putting them back together to find out what happened. I've been certified by several courts, both in Florida and other states as an expert in accident reconstruction, as well as some other disciplines, um, laser and radar speed measurement, DUI, DUI procedures, and police procedures. I've been certified as an expert by various courts in all of those. I do practice personal injury law. It's a small part of my practice. I only do car accidents because I know those the best. I'm the most helpful on that. The other part of my personal injury practice is consulting with as a consultant for other personal injury lawyers. A lot of times I am hired on cases by personal injury lawyers to review accidents, to assist them in depositions, as well as assist them in trial, writing cross-examination outlines for opposing experts, taking the depositions of opposing experts because I understand the language of accident reconstruction uh, a lot of those involved in the field of accident reconstructions are current and former police officers as well as engineers. It has a lot to do with um, with the ability to analyze energy and how energy transfers and moves during a traffic accident, as well as Newton's three laws of physics and a bunch of other math formulas that are call my way 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 back schooling of algebra and calculus and a little bit of trigonometry and geometry all those things you never thought you would use i actually ended up using those during my time in homicide i've had like i said i've handled a bunch of death cases as a uh as a homicide detective i've handled a bunch of death cases traffic related death cases as a lawyer so i'm quite versed in those areas And one of the questions that I get from lawyers as well as other persons is how do injuries occur in a traffic accident? And it may seem obvious, you know, two cars hit each other, car hits a pole, car hits a tree or whatever, and then the injuries occur. But it's a little bit more, to give you a little bit more detailed explanation of how injuries occur in accidents and occupant kinematics and movements during an accident is something that I study quite in quite detail when you have when you have an accident let's say you have two cars that collide 
The important aspects of the accidents are the approach angles of the two vehicles. If one's on, for example, if it's you know down here in South Florida, one's on an avenue and one's on a street, and it's a 90 degree collision, you have the approach angles, and then you have departure angles, what angles the vehicles depart the collision from, the area of collision, what are the weights of the vehicles, and how much energy is used from the collision to the point of final rest, how much energy is transferred during that time. And if you can get all of those variables and calculate all those variables, you can come up with impact speeds. And there's a famous saying that speed kills when it comes to accidents. Well, that's only partially true. What actually causes the injuries and deaths in a traffic accident is a delta V. And delta V is a change of velocity over time. The bigger the change in velocity over the shorter period of time leads to more serious injuries and death. So what does all that mean? I'll put it together for you. When you get, when you get involved in a car accident, let's say it's a 90 degree collision as we discussed before. You're driving down the road, a car's coming at 90 degrees to you, and you collide. It collides on your passenger side front the front of his car hits the passenger side front of your car. When you get a crash, the occupants in the vehicle are going the same speed as their vehicle. So if your vehicle is going 40 miles an hour, your body inside of that vehicle is also going 40 miles an hour. When that vehicle collides with your passenger front, that PDOF or primary direction of force is the direction you're going to move in. So if you're seated in the driver's seat, somebody hits you on the passenger or the right front, your body is going to move towards the right front. In traffic accidents, the first collision is the collision between the two momentum units, which are the two vehicles. Then there are secondary collisions. There are collisions from the occupant to the interior of the vehicle, the organs of the occupant to the inside of the body, such as the cranial cavity, the brain strike in the cranial cavity, and organs inside moving towards the chest wall and the stomach wall and hitting the walls, or just moving towards them. A lot of times in these accidents, we will see torn aortas because the heart is moving. The body stops, but the heart keeps moving and it rips the aorta and the person ends up bleeding to death. So the occupant is going to move towards that principal direction of force. When vehicles are manufactured and they have their safety equipment installed, the airbags and the seat belts, those are designed to absorb energy. The crush and the metal crumpling in the car from the impact is designed to absorb energy, to transfer energy. The more that energy that reaches your body, the more you're going to move, the more violently you're going to move, and the more likely the injuries are going to be substantial or even fatal. For example, if a car hits you in the driver's door and you're seated in the driver's position, the distance that you have to travel between your seated position and that driver's door is very short, or the driver's side of the vehicle is very short. There's not a lot to absorb energy there. 
That's why they started putting side airbags, side airbag curtains in cars to absorb some of that energy from the body striking the airbag and then striking the car instead of striking the interior of the car directly. Whereas if you have a collision in the front of the car, there's more metal and substance there to absorb that energy before it gets to you. So you're no, not as much energy is being transferred into your body to cause these injuries. Another question I get, and this is a question I got not too long ago on a case where I represented a family of a, of a deceased driver who was killed in a traffic accident and the speed was only 20 miles an hour. And here's how it happened. He got hit on the driver's side, just a little bit behind where the driver position is, where the driver was seated. He moved towards that position. He was belted. He had a seat belt on. He moved up in the seat and towards his left and back a little bit. The interior panel, the plastic panel inside his car where his seat belt connects to the frame or the body of the car was missing. And that big stud was sticking out where the seat belt attaches. He hit his head on that stud. It damaged his skull and it damaged his brain and he had a brain injury and a brain bleed and he ended up dying from it. Um, another way you can have an accident in a low speed accident and a death such as that or any speed accident and a death is remember those cars that used to have automatic seat belts for the shoulder harness where you get in it, you, you sit down, you close the door and you turn the key on and the seat belt comes above the top and comes all the way to the back. We used to see a lot of people that wouldn't employ the lap belt with the automatic shoulder harness. When you have a situation like that, you're using the safety equipment in a manner it's not designed to be used. A shoulder harness is designed to be used in conjunction with the lap belt. That's why in most cars you see them connected. And I don't think they make the automatic shoulder harnesses anymore and automatic shoulder belts. And one of the reasons why is, People were getting in collisions where the principal direction of force was coming from the right front. They were moving towards the right front, and since they didn't have that lap belt on, that attachment point on the lower right where the buckle and the seatbelt goes into the buckle was becoming loaded. And right, right there is where your liver is. So we were seeing people that were involved in these accidents and later, you know, hours later, they were turning up dead. What was happening is that loading of the automatic belt, shoulder harness, at the buckle point was causing liver lacerations. And these people were bleeding internally and their liver was ruptured and they would end up dying, you know, seven, eight hours later. And we had a few of those cases and we began to recognize it. And actually my homicide partner at the time had another case exactly like that, recognized the pattern in, energy, pattern injury, uh, made fire rescue transport the person to the hospital to be seen by a doctor, even though she complained of no injuries on the scene and fire rescue was gonna have her sign off that she didn't wanna be transported. Anyway, they transported her to the hospital and she had this liver injury and she was only hours away from dying. The, the doctor said if she'd have gone home and my astute partner wasn't 
observant enough to recognize this injury that she probably would have died. And he got he got an award for that and some outstanding recognition. He was a very, very good investigator, a very, very good detective. So those are ways that, that injuries happen in, you know, low speed, moderate speed collisions well with inside, you know, the speed limits on the roadways we're talking about, which are urban roadways, which are usually 30, 35, 40, sometimes 45 miles an hour. I'm not talking about highway speeds. When you get the highway speeds, you know, the world changes because you're looking at 55, 65, and in some places 70 miles an hour. And that's where, you know, the speed kills comes in because you get people to drive in excess of that. You have multi-vehicle collisions. And the potential for catastrophic injury and death is a lot, a lot higher. The risk is a lot more in those areas. When it comes to um, commercial vehicles, commercial vehicles are another specialized area that I have a lot of experience in. Uh, there's a whole different set of factors when you're dealing with commercial vehicle versus an automobile or a pickup truck. Um, there's different, you know, there's different braking aspects to a commercial vehicle depending upon what type of commercial vehicle it is as opposed to a, uh, an automobile or a pickup truck. And pedestrian accidents are a specialized area. Pedestrian accidents are, are very, very interesting. We get a lot of them down here in South Florida, especially along the coast on the beach. Um, and those, those accidents are always very interesting to put back together. And one thing about pedestrian accidents that's very good as far as evidence goes is when a car hits a pedestrian, very certain and specific injuries can occur from leg amputation, lower leg amputations, head strikes on the vehicle. And one thing that we know through the science of investigating these and applying the laws of physics is the faster a vehicle is going, and of course, depending upon the type of the vehicle, but the general rule is the faster the vehicle is going, the further up the hood, then into the windshield, the pedestrian's head strike is gonna be as they get hit by the vehicle. Until you reach a speed around 60 miles an hour where the body becomes, the pedestrian's body becomes rotated 180 and, you know, goes over the roof completely and clears the car and ends up landing behind the car. We also saw a lot of accidents where pedestrians went into the windshield, you know, they went 180, went into the windshield and got transected as the windshield was crushing from the broken glass and half the body goes over the car and back and the other half drops into the vehicle. Um, another issue you have is when you have high speed collisions or you have commercial vehicle versus motor vehicle accidents versus automobile accidents, another area of collision you have are the collision between the occupants and the actual vehicle that is striking them. That's something that's real common with blunt nose vehicles like buses, vans, uh, tractor trailers, especially if, when they're hit on the sides, the occupants in the vehicles, the intrusion that the, the vehicle applying force is making, the occupants sometimes actually strike the exterior of the impacting vehicle. And you have to look for those injury patterns. A lot of the occupant movement, the pedestrian movement is analyzing injury patterns and being able to recognize evidence and properly interpret evidence on the scene. Your best, your best cases and your best, your best cases for recovery on 
are going to thoroughly and accurately photograph, document, and analyze the evidence present at the scene. One thing that we used to see a lot of are investigators and reconstructionists misinterpreting approach angles and departure angles. You have to have those very, very close and you have to have the evidence to support the angles because that greatly affects the speed. And basically you use a protractor, a protractor, to you draw out on the computer or by hand, you draw out the collision map, the evidence, and use a protractor to come up with the angles of approach and departure. Another thing that affects speed of vehicles is weight. We always used to weigh each individual axle and take the sum of those for the weight. A lot of investigators and reconstructionists use the either the registered weight, a manufacturer's weight, or some other type of weight table that they find online, which may or may not be the correct weight. If you have an improper weight, just as you have an improper angle, it'll affect your speed calculation. Another thing that, is, that affects speed calculations in motor vehicle accidents is the drag factor or coefficient of friction on the roadway, which is the friction that exists between a tire and the asphalt or the concrete or whatever the road surface is, grass, dirt, gravel, whatever. That is, they make instruments to specifically measure that. A lot of investigators and reconstructionists will use published tables or ranges, and that can greatly affect your speed. So if you're off, for example, if you're off on your angles, you're off on your weights, and you're off on your drag factor, you're going to be way off on your speed calculations. And it's very important when you have an accident where speed is an issue that your, your opinion of the speed is very sound and based in evidence and demonstrative evidence because that goes, a lot of times, that goes to causation in the accident. Um, like I said, we handled a bunch of cases like that. I handled a bunch as a police officer. I handled a bunch as an attorney. And those are the issues that I always look for. And those are the types of issues that uh, other attorneys hire me to look at their cases and do their depositions and analysis of their cases. And it always seems to turn on those types of issues. There's a lot of information to be gathered from an accident scene. Um, because when you have the police to do the initial investigation, because you know police departments all over are understaffed, big priority for police departments is calls holding, so they don't always have the luxury or they feel rushed to get it done and to to get the scene done and get out of there and get on to the next one. But you really, especially in death cases and critical injury accident cases where people are going to be paralyzed or messed up for life. You really have to take your time. You should not leave a scene until you're absolutely 100% sure that you have the events, the cause, the evidence, photographs, and everything else related to the investigation 100% down, packed, documented, and confident in your analysis. Because people that come after you, such as personal injury attorneys, reconstructionists hired by plaintiff's side or defense side, are all going to rely on a lot of that information to do their analysis. 
What I personally do whenever I pick up a death case or critical injury auto accident cases, I always go out to the scene. I go out to the scene, I take my investigator out there. He, med he uses a laser instrument. We measure the scene. If there's still, if we get out there within a few days of the accident, there's still evidence present, we'll measure that. And we'll compare that against what the officers measured when they conducted their investigation. And a lot of times we find that the officers, you know, the officers are usually using measuring wheels and measuring tapes. We're using a very accurate laser instrument and we find that their measurements are off. And when you have measurements are off, it starts with five inches here. You get a little bit down the road, you're at a foot. By the time you get to the collision, you're in a bigger range and it can throw all the measurements off in a progressive way, which of course affects the speed calculations and the causations on the accidents. So that's, that's a summary of how injuries occur and the different types of injuries you look for in these critical, you know, significant injury and death cases, um, both as an investigator, reconstructionist, and a personal injury lawyer. And I really encourage other personal injury lawyers, whenever you have one of these cases, especially if it's a you know commercial vehicle case, uh, you know a high liability case, is to get some help, get an accident reconstructionist on your case, so they can explain to you in understandable terms what conservation of linear momentum is, what drag factor is, what the Searle equation is, and all these other equations that are based on you know the kinetic energy and the laws of physics how they relate to the accident because the better you understand it the better you are going to be at preparing your case um that's about it as far as accidents go as far as the injuries happening um like i said i i got out of court a little late today so i didn't get to do the live session so if I, we were live you can call you could have typed in with uh, questions that i could have answered them uh, you're certainly welcome to DM me. As you know, I'm available on all the, all, basically all the social media platforms. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook law firm page, the Law Offices of Patrick J. McGee, PA. I'm on Instagram, the Magic City Lawyer, magic-city-lawyer. Uh, TikTok is the underscore magic underscore city underscore lawyer. I'm on LinkedIn under my personal name. I'm also on Tumblr and YouTube as Magic City Lawyer. I'm on Twitter as PJ McGee and Law. And of course, my email address is Patrick at PJM Lawyer. And you're certainly free to always call me at the, at the office and I'll be happy to discuss any accident specifics that you may have or any questions you have about accidents or you know, death cases or how injuries occur in particular cases. Um, that, that'll end, basically wrap up this session. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you look for me every Wednesday. I try to do these, the podcast every Wednesday at about six o'clock PM Eastern time. I try to incorporate a live on my YouTube channel along with it so I can answer questions because I get some really good questions and, but unfortunately I wasn't able to do that. Uh, look for me next week on my next episode again, Wednesday at 6 p.m. God willing and the creek don't rise, I will be here. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Your feedback is always welcome. 
I am Patrick McGeehan, and I am your best friend at your worst time.